Welcome once more to the Race MotoGP podcasts and everything that is not just about 2020, but let's look a little bit further ahead. And I'm not talking about 2021. Bizarrely, I'm actually wanting to talk about 2022 with Simon Patterson. Myself, Toby Moody here. Uh, Simon, you brought this subject up, uh, 2022. I can't even see to the end of this year because we don't know who's going to win the 2020 MotoGP World Championship at the moment. And that's what's fantastic about this 20 season. 2021, we know that Valentino's going to Patronus. That's the standout thing in the forefront of people's minds. And really the proper full-time return of the genius that is Mark Marquez. But why do you want to focus on 2022? Well, nature of it is that uh, what we're looking at right now is contracts due to expire at the end of the 2021 season, not for riders like usual, but for teams, uh, for grid spots. We have long-term contracts, five-year deals that manufacturers make with series organizers Dorna. They and then in turn make contracts with teams to provide them with machinery. That all runs on a five-year basis. It's all set to expire at the end of 2021. And while that's still 12 months away, we're already at the stage where people are talking about it. People are looking at what they're going to do. Satellite teams are suggesting that maybe it's time to start switching bikes. There's a lot up in the air right now. Um, and with all but basically one spot on the 2021 MotoGP grid lined up and ready to go. It seemed like as good a time as any to start talking about the next silly season that we're going to have to go through very shortly. I mean, if you're talking about teams and their relationships with manufacturers, the first thing that comes to mind is the recent news about Tech 3, Hervé Ponteral's squad has been around forever, and they've only really just got into bed with KTM. This is they're halfway through their second season, yeah. and yet they're going to lose Red Bull. That's not been confirmed per se, has it? It's not certain. But that's as good as a strong rumour. It's it it's stronger than a strong rumour. Uh, Hervé Poncherau told me himself that it's more likely than not at this point. So that's that's pretty solid. But that seems to be a, a Red Bull decision more than a KTM decision. We know that they're obviously very, very close in terms of how they work together across all their motorsports, uh, two-wheel fields. But it seems, from what Hervé told me, that his contract with KTM says that KTM provide everything, technical, financial, the works. So if Red Bull decide that they're not putting the money in, it's not Hervé's job to find a new sponsor, it's KTM's job to find a new sponsor, or to just make the bikes orange for next year, which... Let's be honest, as team bosses go, that has to be one of the greatest contracts ever negotiated. Genius <laughs> from the Frenchman. Well, it's a little bit like Ferrari in Formula One. Uh, they say that Philip Morris buys the whole car and then they sell the sponsorship to who they see fit. The sponsors like your Shells or your Kaperskis or whatever don't go to Maranello, they go to Philip Morris. So exactly. there is a bit of that going on. Yes, I can see that. I can see and, that. And um, there's a similar setup in the MotoGP paddock, don't forget, with another red bike. I'm sure, yes. Well, they learned it from the high altar of uh, up the road at Maranello, didn't they? Exactly. So, uh, so yeah, that, that works. So, okay, that's good to hear that Tech 3, uh, you know, are in bed properly with KTM, it would be very, very strange in my view that that fell out of bed so quickly, particularly after that magnificent win by Oliveira in, in Austria a few weeks ago. So 
You mentioned already that the Red Bikes, uh, Works Ducati team, the Pramac Ducati team, bless them, they'd even be called Pramac if they weren't sponsored by Pramac, wouldn't they? But the Pramac Ducati team, it rolls off the tongue. That is absolutely a feeder junior team that then goes up. We've seen it with Jack Miller going into next year. Pekka Bagnaya as well. Pekka Bagnaya. So, yeah, that's not really going to change, but... Dorna have a wider vision. Tell us about that. Yeah. So the first thing to say is probably that I'm fairly sure that all six manufacturers that we currently have are going to be there in the 2022 to 2026 window. I can't see any change coming there. And in fact, we've already got a commitment from one of them because KTM signed a five-year extension to their contract August of last year. So we know they're around until at least 2026. And yeah, I'm fairly certain that that all five others are going to do the same in short order. The Dorna vision then, because they're going to have 24 spots in the grid, six manufacturers, 12 teams, four bikes per manufacturer. So you've got two factory bikes, two satellite bikes, two official bikes, two junior team to feed riders. That's the goal. That's the aim. That's what they're working towards. And to be honest, that's what it looks like they're very, very close to achieving. Now, the people who've got the most number of bikes at the moment are the red team. That's where I was leading into. You know, Ducati, Works Ducati, Pramac. Then they've got another two bolted on the back end. So they, in theory, are going to have to drop off. Yeah, that seems to be the case. But the relationship that they currently have with their their third tier team with a sponsorama previously a vintage Ducati is much more of a a client than a satellite there's no guarantee from what we've heard at the minute that that team is even going to exist in 2022 um i've heard some rumors that they've already been told thanks for coming it's been nice to see you now step aside someone else is getting your grid spot there's a load of Moto 2, Moto 3 front-running teams who have kind of hinted, you know, we'd quite like to be Moto GP teams. Leading among those is Leopard, who obviously have dominated Moto 3 for the best part of uh, the last five or six years. So if one of those teams was to take the Avintia spot, the Sponsorama spot, it's a kind of a clean break with Ducati. It gives them an opportunity to go in fishing around for one of the other factory deals that would be on the table. It makes it a little bit easier for Ducati to cut from six bikes down to four. And it probably, the way things are looking now, would be where two factory spec Aprilias might land. I was just about to bring up the subject of the two manufacturers who don't have a satellite team at the moment. You've already said Aprilia, the other one being yeah. Suzuki. Suzuki on a hell of a crest of a wave at the moment. Yeah. They are going great guns. Will they, might they, win the 2020 MotoGP World Championship? Simon rises, raise, raises his eyebrows, and so do I. Can you see that on this podcast? Yes, you can. <laughs> um, and it is always that long-term thing of in the modern era of what 20 years have suzuki got the resources to make another two bikes or might they not have any option but then again how strongly can dorna tell suzuki or does suzuki leave they haven't got all the money in the world back in hamamatsu no they don't but i think what we're getting to now is almost we've almost got to the point where bizarrely to be competitive, you need four bikes. I agree. 
it's such a close field that, you know, you can see the work that KTM have done, the step forward they made once they had doubled the amount of data being input into the, you know, the, the engineering brain back in Austria. Suzuki are well aware that they need to do that. The Suzuki team are 100% certain it is the only way forward. Uh, I spoke to Davide Brivio to the team boss last weekend. He is adamant it's the only way forward. He admits that the stumbling block is that he has to commit, convince the factory, the manufacturer, that that's what has to be done. But given where the bike development is, given the steps forward they're making, given the fact that they're on the verge of winning a championship, and given some of the little rumors we've heard about how there might be some money incoming, maybe a tie-up with a new sponsor for their satellite team, and the fact that, let's not forget, Dorna will also hand over a big wedge of cash to uh, a satellite team to run bikes. And it's not as unlikely as it was the last time we had this conversation, let's put it that way. It's a quite an interesting swing, really, isn't it? Because the Japanese have always had this tier of of works bikes and then other bikes. Whereas now, as you say, over the last couple of years, the Europeans have actually been the tail that's now wagging the dog and are arguably now the dog. You know, a, a, a Honda have been bitten properly this year in not having Mark at the forefront of their of their title bid. And they haven't got anybody else. You know, Crutchlow's had some bad luck. Nakagami's still knocking on the door. But Repsol Honda are last. Let's not sugarcoat this. Who would have thought it? Um, I'm surprised that Alex Marquez is struggling to that degree. But that's another discussion. But it is interesting the way that the the Europeans have, have got hold of this so it's now down to Aprilia to to add more weight to the European side of things. Yeah, Aprilia sound like they're they're pushing ahead with the plans as well. Um, obviously, Aprilia, there's no lack of money there as part of the Piaggio Group. They're a massive business. There's the resources. There seems to be the willing to do it, and uh. They've, you know, they've said pretty much the exact same thing as Suzuki. They think it's essential to have a satellite team. They're working towards it. Maybe they need to convince the board, but the race team believes it's the only way to improve the bike, et cetera, et cetera. The worry that some may have for 2022, which, as I say, seems like another decade away at the moment in what has been a frustrating 2020 for obvious reasons, is precisely that we went through at the beginning of this year is you know i think there's a lot of businesses around the world sporting or not who are just looking to christmas which is only three three months away at the moment and i know you've got a plan i know you've got to commit but are they going to sell bikes are they what are what are the 2020 sales figures going to be like you know, that Aprilia don't have a massive sponsor that puts their arm around them like Ducati does. It's 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 a long way away, and that's a concern that some people have voiced to me about budgets of 50, 60 million euros annually to to race. I I don't think we're gonna see the same problems we saw the last time we had a big 
global financial hit in 2009 simply because the state of the way the state of the the global motorbike market has changed so much back in 2009 whenever we had the the last recession japanese manufacturers in particular were still kind of reliant on selling sports bikes to europeans whereas the shift from then to now is all towards southeast asia it's all towards an economy that hasn't quite been hit as hard, maybe maybe not as shocked as hard as uh, COVID has done to the European market. You know, I, I was doing some research the other day for a completely separate feature. Honda sold 20 million motorbikes last year. They sold 12 million of those in Indonesia. You know, the other big markets are, are China, Vietnam, India. Europe doesn't even factor. North America doesn't even factor. I totally get that. But I suppose I was really talking about Aprilia. They don't sell bikes out there. They're starting to go that way, though, because they've realized that their speciality is small capacity bikes. Uh, And they've got to go out there. And they've got to go out there. Are they a bit late? my, my, My thinking has got to be, there's no way a company the size of Piaggio in particular aren't looking at long-term goals. And I don't, I'm I'm not so sure that a short-term recession in Europe is going to affect their long-term strategy. You know, we we saw Honda pull out of F1 this week because F1 isn't moving in the direction that they want to move in towards alternative fuels. But they're talking about pulling out of F1 in 2021 to work towards their target for 2050. That's the sort of long-term thinking that these companies are working towards. And um, I, I, I'm i fairly sure that MotoGP is a part of the Aprilia marketing strategy the same way as it is a part of the others. And that, you know, the next two or three years won't have the same impact as it would have 10 years ago. No, it's uh, it's very interesting times. And obviously, we need everybody there. You've mentioned the six manufacturers already and the uh, the four the four bikes that they all have, which equals the 24 grid slots. Um, it's great sport. It's great TV. I look at lots of sport, as you do, as many of our listeners do. And I think visually for that hour, it is just fantastic to this day. I still say it is done so, so well. Uh, it's not all about, you know, weird angles or, or or things like that. It's the speed of what they do in the truck. And I think that from a marketing point of view, for manufacturers to be involved, to get value for money for their 50, 60 million euros a year, they do get very good value from it. And they have proved, Dorna and FIM, that they can provide Grand Prix in a difficult year, uh, even if it is still behind closed doors or in a in a strange way next year, there will be Grand Prix because they've done the difficult bit. They've absolutely done the difficult bit. Uh, the next step is is spectators. Yeah, and let's remember the people that Honda sell are in MotoGP to sell motorbikes to don't go to MotoGP races anyway, apart from maybe to Malaysia. Yes, we haven't had any flyaway races per se this year, uh, and the, and in the Indonesian Grand Prix is all gone a bit quiet at the moment. I know that there's a there's a deal done, but it's all gone a very very quiet. And we've seen the mm, we've seen the we've seen the the maps, and we've seen the the onboards, and well, I have. So yeah, I, I've seen some information this week that um, it's still f- proceeding full steam ahead, but. Um, yeah, there's some issues there that still have to be resolved, and we'll see how that pans out. Mm. But 
I, I think I know what you're talking about, but as a sport, and you said it, 12 million bikes in Indonesia a year just for one manufacturer, MotoGP needs to go to Indonesia. Absolutely. Know? How yeah, they do yeah. it is another discussion, but it needs yeah. to go to Indonesia where these fans who, you know, if you, you've seen their night parties where they stay up late on a Sunday night to watch the European race, yeah, it's and they're just getting like a concert, like football crowds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ten, fifteen thousand people to watch a MotoGP race in the town square. Incredible. It's, it is incredible. I walked through the the public area on race day morning uh, towards the main gates at Sepang and took a video of the people walking into the track because I was deliberately just sort of making a bit of a video, and it was just like an exodus into the grandstands. And only 10 years earlier, you could have rocked up five minutes before the start, parked your car outside the gate on the double yellow and walked in and no one would say boo. I uh, I spent 24 hours in Jakarta a couple of years back for a Yamaha team launch with Valentino Rossi and Maverick Vinales. And it, it was genuinely what I believe visiting Jakarta would be like with sort of Valentino Rossi or with uh, with Tom Cruise and the Pope. It was insane. You know, we were talking like convoys to get to the airport, police escorts everywhere we go, uh, huge screaming crowds at the front of the hotel just to catch a glimpse of them. It was insane. Well, there was that footage some years ago. I think it was from India when Valentino was on the stage for a, a promotional appearance and it all got out of hand and they took him off the stage. I mean, I don't yeah. think the security was that tight to start with because people were jumping on the stage, but it's out there somewhere on Tinternet and he just, whoa, this is a bit too much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to see those people clamoring for it. But coming full circle back to, to 2022, you know, the circuits are on board. Um, might be a different kind of landscape with regards to circuits paying Dorna the race fee and then the circuits being confident that they're going to get that race fee back plus a bit of profit on 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 the race weekend we hear those discussions all the time with Silverstone we're not paying that money Mr Carmelo we're not paying that money and some places they don't need to make a profit but other places do so that's another kind of discussion will people have the money to go to these grand prix in years in next year and and 2022 to prop up the 1920 grand prix a year might we go back to the 1415 that we've got at the moment and as we had in late 90s it's going to be a bit of a changing field yeah it won't be just quite the way it is now um but I I don't know if we'll see a huge shift away. Um, partly because what we've seen more and more is uh, so Silverstone's kind of to use the example is kind of the exception rather than the rule. In that Silverstone is a traditional, you pay the hosting fee, you sell your tickets, you make your money back on the hosting fee. A lot of races in Europe are subsidised by local, state, federal government of some sort or another. And, you know, that's what we've already seen this year. The reason the championship started at Jerez is because the Andalusian regional government were the first ones in Europe to say, hey, we need tourists back. We're going to promote our region by bringing MotoGP here. And I think we'll see perhaps more and more of that as people try to lure tourists back in. 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, the cost of hosting a MotoGP race isn't astronomical versus the return you get from bringing 100,000 people into the area. It, it might be that it's not actually as bad as we think it might be. Yeah, I mean, if we just quickly go through the calendar this year, Qatar, supported by the government. Always safe. Um, the, the Red Bull paid for Hareth 1. As you said, Andalusian government paid for Hareth 2. Monster Energy, Czech Republic. Uh, My Bit World. Bit of local government money there as well. Oh, yes. Okay. Austria 1, sponsored by My World. I've looked them up. I still don't know what they do. Uh, um, Austria 2. That's one for another podcast. It is, yeah. <laughs> and maybe uh, a legal team. Austria 2 it was M Power, BMW M, because they launched their new M3, M4 that week. Yeah. But obviously both heavily subsidized by Red Bull. Yes. And their then, billionaire owner. Yes. Then we went to San Marino. Well, Mizano, should I say, Grand Prix, uh, Lenovo de San Marino, Adela Riviera de Rimini. They sponsored both Grand Prix and shared it with Lenovo and Tiso Watches. Yeah. Tiso Watches paid Dorna. They probably had a free Grand Prix thrown in for the timing deal. Yeah, Monster yeah, Energy yeah. again in Barcelona. Shark Helmets at Le Mans. They're always there. Yeah. And do, do Dorna have to go to some countries in Europe to keep a TV deal? Um, because the TV deal is part of that for that particular country. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Aragon yeah. one, Aragon one, should I say, is Michelin. They're in the championship. Uh, Liquimoli is Aragon two. They seem to have a bit of money on four wheels. They're spreading yeah. it around in two wheels. They are indeed. Uh, haven't got a sponsor at the moment for the first Valencia. No. But that'll change. That'll change. Second Valencia is Motul. That's yeah, an ongoing deal yeah. with Dorna. Yeah, and, and, and then, there's uh, don't forget there's there's plenty of regional money in Valencia as well. It's correct. A, it's a local government-owned circuit. Yes, and then the final race is sponsored by Mio. I haven't looked them up. I'm. In, I have to. to admit, I haven't either. They're the only one on the list. I'm not entirely sure of. But we okay. know. I think it might be telling. We know that there's Portuguese government money bringing MotoGP okay. to Portugal. Okay, might be telecommunications off the top Possibly. of my head. Possibly, I, I I can't remember. So so yeah, so there is there is a lot of back scratching going on, and it all works. And they are good sponsors, good names, not quite in most of them household names, but they're certainly motorsport, automotive, motorcycle names. Everybody would know uh, them, and a few blue chip names like Lenovo uh, and BMW. Yeah. And BMW, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it's uh, it's all there. It's all there. So yeah, it, it, it is all there. But the, the the traveling, we've all got to work out. But but yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting time. But I I applaud the fact that they've done the difficult bit. Dorna, FIM, Erta, the teams have done the difficult bit, which is this year. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it can only be easier. And that will then morph into to to twenty twenty one, and then these decisions about who has what bike is going to be very interesting. Uh, just coming back, quite a few parts of our conversation. <laughs> we did mention Tech Three, maybe running an orange uh, KTM next year because it comes yeah. from Matty Coffin rather than from France, if you follow, the, the sponsorship for said team. Don't let us forget yeah. that Suzuki, for some years, have run Suzuki sponsored by their X-Star, which is their oil brand. Yeah. Um, 
but it's still sort of their own money. I, I sort of get the hunch that they need a little bit more. Do you get the same kind of feeling? Um, not particularly, I have to say. It seems like it, it's, we know it's not a wealthy team, but it seems like a well-funded team. It seems like a team that doesn't particularly want for anything. Um, I know they had a little bit of money this year to splash around in terms of the rider market. They spoke to a few names, you know, just to sound them out that they wouldn't have been speaking to if they didn't have a fair bit of cash. Uh, they kept the two names that they had in the end, which I'm sure didn't come without a little bit of a pay rise. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's a lack of money there. I think there's there's enough for what they need. Whether or not that's enough to run two more bikes just as easily, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, that's a question that it sounds like the Suzuki board have to ask themselves and come up with an answer to. But, you know, here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, it sounds like it's all going to work out. I've got a good feeling about it. Uh, that it, it that, that, that the hard days have been done back in 2012, 2013, 2014, when the, you know, there was a few grids yeah. and you go, oh, dear. You know, I saw a picture mm. the other day of a Le Mans race starts and there's like 15 bikes on the grid and you yeah. go, did yeah. that really happen? My mind has forgotten that. Yeah. <laughs> but we all got through it, and that's exactly what Mike Trimby said to me one day. Let's just get through the next couple of years. And they did. Yeah. And they did. It worked yeah. out. It worked yeah. out. Another factor for Absolutely. for helping Dorna to, to, to fill their coffers a little bit more, and then the coffers can then cascade down to the teams as part of the TV money. It's their appearance money. The ongoing growth of apps and people watching television through the internet the idea is not new that a sport is broadcast specifically to somebody's house directly from the the the, the franchisee being Dorna. Um, the problem was in the old days internet connection the idea has always been there but there are still a lot of people who still don't have super fast. That is changing literally week by week at the moment. And if they don't have a super fast, well, 5G is in the UK. It's, it's elsewhere in the world. There's a new Apple iPhone. That'll have 5G and that'll open it up twofold again yeah. overnight. Exponentially, yeah. Exponentially, yeah. correct. So, and will, you know, I've done the maths on this for, for nearly a decade. The money is there for Dorna, and there's more money if Dorna do that than sell it to the TV stations. They make good money from the TV stations, but they can make more money from selling the app. Oh, well, I'm not paying 20 quid a month to, to have an app. You don't need to pay 20 quid a month. You can pay less money for the app than watching a TV station, and you can watch it absolutely anywhere where you want. There's smart TVs, it's Wi-Fi to the TV, or it's Apple TV, or it's da, da, da. it's it's so yeah, easy nowadays. It is. That's gonna be the changing thing that will up their coffers. Agreed. Agreed. Whether or not they choose to do that on their own, or whether or not they choose to do that with a partner, is still something to for us all to see and and to figure out. There are some rumors floating around that uh the good people at Amazon are quite interested in some sort of a hookup with MotoGP. Let's live stream the races through our platform the way they're already doing with some of the tennis, I think, they're signed Correct. up directly yeah, for. Yeah, I've seen that. Yep. Yeah. 
and yeah. and I think that is an interesting one because having the Amazon platform to push MotoGP would be uh, would be pretty incredible, and obviously Amazon's big rival Netflix are kind of already in bed with F1. Yes, yes, very true. And the other thing, so anything to balance that out. Yes, and the other thing, you know, I've got an Apple TV thing here, so you, you flick that on, but the but the Amazon Prime. It's nearly on that front screen. It's nearly at the top of the screen there. So you know, you'd go yeah. into it, you'd, you'd you'd search for your your, your movies, your Jack Ryan's, your your whatever's. Oh, oh, hang on a minute. Mother GP, watch this. Oh, okay. You want you, they want another yeah. pick a figure eighty quid a year. I know it's a bit more at the moment directly through the Dorna website, but mm, oh, do you know what? It's a fiver a race. Yeah, do it. And and you know those amazing highlights packages that Dorna are so good at making. Imagine you switch on your TV to watch the latest Jack Ryan and one of those pops up for 15 seconds before, you know, your action blockbuster and you think, oh, that looks quite good. I might give that a look. And then maybe you go and see, oh, look, I can watch one race for free. It's very easy to roll it out then. Particularly if people have said, you know what, I'm not paying for a, a Sky or a BT or a, or an extra subscription, yeah. so I've yeah. got a bit of slush fund. I'll, I'll go on. I'll treat myself and I'll do that. Yes. So yeah, it's and of course we're we're talking about all this from a British perspective, but it is worth noting that this is essentially what Dorner are already doing in their home market, because. Movistar have lost the TV rights in Spain and Dazan have picked them up, which is basically a sports streaming platform. And I noticed last week uh, in Barcelona, whenever you go into the filling station now, whenever you go into the Repsol garage, you can buy your gift cards with your six months Netflix subscription, your six months Amazon Prime subscription, your six months Xbox subscription and your six months Dazan subscription. It's that easy now in Spain. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the way to go. It's just yeah. so easy nowadays. You know, yeah. I'm rural where I live, and yet I've got super fast and 55 download. You know, I was on two and a half. <laughs> and I've got 4G, I, which soon will be 5G. Yeah, I I live in a van and I've streamed the first half of the season before I was allowed into the circuits to an iPad on 4G. You know? It's brilliant. And it doesn't drop. Yeah, yeah, it's very, very good. But all of that is good for the sport because then Dorna will have a bit more slush fun to go. Do you know what? Okay, Mr. Grand Prix Circuit, you can't let spectators in because of the virus, but we'll 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 top you up. And then there is a Grand Prix. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Easy. Interesting times. So the big question is if Valentino Rossi is in Patronus next year, when he's in Patronus next year, should I say. And it is only a one-year deal. So end of 21, we don't because, know. Because Lund Jarvis, Yamaha boss, has been very keen to stress because of all these changing team contracts. So what, do Patron- what does Raslan do at Patronus, SRT, should I say, you know, Sepang Racing? He might not have any Yamahas because Valentino gets it because Valentino has said, I'll stay with you, Mr. Yamaha, forever. So Raslan's got to go to Suzuki. Perfect. There you go. That seems like a bit of a win-win for everyone, really. It's no no secret that, that the Patronus guys are not 
just not quite delighted with the Yamaha relationship. They want to be a partner and they feel like they're a client. Suzuki are probably the most un-Japanese Japanese team in the grid. They will come in with a completely different approach to Yamaha. You know, their race department is not run by Japanese engineers. Their race department is run by Davide Brivio, who is one of, you know, he is an Italian stereotype in the best of ways. Uh, they will get a warm welcome there if they want. They'll get some of the things that they want to do with the bike, like developing their own engine oils and their own gearbox oils with the bike, from which is something that, from what I understand, they did do at Yamaha. They made a big deal of it last year at Yamaha, but has now been dialed back by Yamaha, restricted again a little bit. So they'll get to do all that, and they'll get to do probably the most important thing from the Patronas' point of view. They'll get to be a youth feeder team. Instead of having a 41-year-old man put into their squad. Which does no harm, because it is him. Which does no harm, of course, but it's not what they want to be. They want to be the team that brings up young riders like they've done so successfully with Fabio Quattararo. But that's also Suzuki's entire mantra. You know, this is the team that plucked two guys from Moto2, stuck them under a MotoGP bike, and, well, it's worked out pretty well because one of them's second in the championship and they were second and third in the last race. Maybe the bike's just bloody good. The bike is bloody good. Can you imagine That's if there's the a mark thing. on it? Well, he'll, he'll drive it, he'll win in and anything, but can you yeah, imagine well, if there true. was a, yeah. a Fabio on that? Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, it's the old story. <laughs> you never know how good a bike is because only two blokes do. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> That's the... <laughs> Well, fascinating times. It's the age-old conundrum of a writer looking to send a new contract, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Fascinating times. Well, um, we're getting rather ahead of ourselves because we <laughs> we've still got we've still got what we're currently planning the twenty twenty three. Exactly, we've still got Le Mans, two Aragons, two Valencias, and one Portugal still remaining. Six races still to go. And, uh, yeah, October the 11th is the next Grand Prix in France. So uh, let's worry about that before we worry about 2022 <laughs> in any further shape or form. Uh, Simon, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. We look forward to catching up together again after that Le Mans race. But in the meantime, keep in touch with at We Are The Race with our website, the-race.com. Myself, at Toby Moody on Twitter or at Denkmit for Simon. Do like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. And in the meantime, look forward to some more racing, everybody. We'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.